Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. With special reports from Cardinals Camp and the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center, this is Sports Open Line on KMOX. All right, so I want to finish up on a couple quick things on the cards, and I had another thought when it comes to, like, our passions as sports fans, and it is kind of branching off the thing of last hour about talking about the popularity of different leagues and all that, but it's a different, kind of a different twist on it. And it's actually something that uh, old Matt Pajeski and I were talking about during the break. I was doing the talking, and you know, Matt's like, do you ever stop talking? And I'm like, no, and I'm going to finish my thought. And then we continued on. Um, I, I have another quick thing on that. It's a different angle on it, though, because I, I also think it's funny how how we all care like what will happen to our favorite sports when we're dead. <laughs> so I'll explain what I mean. Because, like, I can promise you this. After I'm dead, I'm not going to care what the most sport, popular sport is. And I don't I don't know why people do care about that. But anyway, that'll be coming up. Um, on the Cardinals. And I wanted to talk a bit on the pitching side. Because one of the things that I, I'm still, we're all, we're going to have to decipher. And it's going to take a while to decipher how the, the bullpen matchups are going to play out in tight games late, right? Because you really haven't had that. You know, you've had, you had a blowout win on opening day, reasonably comfortable win uh, on Saturday, and, you know, a, a rough loss yesterday. So we didn't we didn't really get to sort out exactly how leverage situations are going to play out in the pen. I think we have a good idea, right? I mean, I think we can look at it and say that, you know, Gallegos and, and McFarland and and uh Hannesis Cabrera and I guess Nick Nick Whitgren is gonna be a part of that too because he's a veteran and he's and he's a proven piece. Uh Ryan Helsley certainly would look he has the look of that, you know, when Helsley's healthy. Um he has obviously the big arm that you need late in games or that you like. I shouldn't say need, but you the big arm that you like late in games. But, you know, the manager has said a number of times over the course of the offseason and in spring training that know that the bullpen usage might be fluid, that they're going to let the game situation determine who's called upon and when they're called upon. And we really haven't had a chance yet to even get a glimpse of that. And that's fine. I mean, just the game flow is, is everything. But I will be curious to see, okay, seventh inning, protecting a one-run lead, and the two, three, four-hole hitters are up for the other team. I know some of it's going to have to do with who those hitters are, right? I mean, we go on left, right, left, 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 right, 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 right. I mean, like, I think that's going to be, there's going to be some, that's going to be part of the determination. We also have to think about it, too. It's not always going to be starting an inning, right? I mean, you get to the seventh, you're up by two, and all of a sudden, you know, runners on first and second, nobody out. Okay, who gets us out of the jam based on the matchups? And you've got your guys that are going to strike people out, right? Cabrera's going to strike people out. Gallego strikes people out. Helsley strikes people out. Cody Whitley will strike some people out. And then you got your ground ball guy like Nick Whitgren. He's your ground ball dude. TJ McFarland, ground ball dude. And when you bake all of that together, I, there's I don't I don't see one formula being the right one because let's again so let's say first and second nobody out seventh inning of a game two run lead. 
do you want the ground ball double play? Do you want the guy that's going to get the swings and misses? And I, my answer to that is, tell me who's at the plate. Are, are the guys at the plate contact hitters that are more likely to hit into a, hit into a, a double, ground ball double play? Or is it somebody that hits the ball in the air a lot or swings and misses a lot? Like, I, you know, again, I, I that's what I'm really interested in seeing because the true play-it-by-ear plan, the, the real true matchup plan is matchups based on a number of levels. And, of course, we also have to consider that on any given day, some of the guys in the bullpen may not be available. Right? I mean, you know, so that that's going to come into play too. But assuming you have the people that you want, you certainly have the situation and and where you are in the order and then what style. And I think that's what's fun about where Major League Baseball is is now. To me, maybe some people are going to think this is too dorky. Uh, it's too detailed. It's too much. Maybe, maybe they're right. I don't think they're right, but maybe they are. But matchups in baseball today don't just mean left and right. And for a long time, that's what it meant. It meant, okay, you've got two lefties leading off this inning. I'm going to give you my left-handed pitcher or a left-handed pitcher. I'm going to give you the loogie, right? The left-hand only guy. Or, hey, here's my seventh inning guy, and he's my seventh inning guy no matter what. And here's my eighth inning guy, and then here's my ninth inning guy. And if you looked at, remember the Royals team that won the World Series? It was kind of that, right? I'm spacing out on the seventh inning guy. But obviously the eighth inning guy was Wade Davis. The ninth inning guy was Greg Holland. But they basically went to the same three dudes regardless of matchups. But you know, those guys were also pretty awesome that year. <laughs> like those pitchers were unbelievable. And that's another part of understanding matchups, though, that it's not just lefty versus righty. It's also going to be tendency. Contact hitter versus guy with some swing and miss. Power hitter versus doubles hitter. Who handles high velocity? Who doesn't? We've heard uh, Ali Marmel talk about the DH in that. And, and Derek Gould described that here you know, a week and a half ago. That you know sometimes the DH is going to be based on the kind of pitcher. Not just the handedness of the pitcher, but the kind of pitcher. Sinker baller might be more toward Corey Dickerson. High fastball guy might be more towards Lars Nudpar. Obviously, lefty goes to Albert, but maybe there are some righties that match up that he matches up with well. That's a part of the mix. And I think it's an extra layer of complication for all of us that are watching. But to me, that's the fun of it. The fun of managing along, the fun of, of watching the game play out is playing along at home. And this just adds another set of things to keep in mind, that baseball is getting more and more detail-oriented. So, for example, if you've got hitters at the plate or the key hitter in the inning that you need to get out, let's assume it's the the three-hole hitter with runners on first and second and nobody out with a two, and you have a two-run lead. If that three-hole hitter is a really good lower half of the zone guy, then maybe Ryan Helsley is the right matchup with the high fastball. You know, the elevated four-seamer. Maybe, you know, again, if it's a guy that tends to be weak 
on you know sliders away. Mm-mm, there you go. That's your that's your Giovanni Gallegos matchup. If it's somebody though that's prone to ground balls or hits into a lot of double plays, there you go. Nick Whitgren, be the guy. And I find that to be fun. I find that to be fascinating. Now it might not end up being that fluid all year, where it's kind of like. All right, bing, bang, boom, we got all these. It, it might settle into roles. It might become more defined. I don't, we don't know because we've never seen this particular manager run a bullpen over the course of six months. But I do think it's going to be fun to see how it plays either way. All right, hang tight. I want to get to that one more baseball thing next up. And actually, it's really not just a baseball thing. It's a little bit bigger picture thing. But I I, I do I don't, I don't, do have a kind of a, a bit of confusion about why so many of us worry about what other people like. I'll explain what I mean. That sounds a little confusing. I'll explain what I mean next up on KMOX. I'm back in on KMOX, and uh, one other quick thing that I wanted to get into on our, you know, our favorite sports, and then I want to do blues from the bottom of the hour till the top of the hour to wrap things up for the day. I, I you know, it's funny that so earlier I was talking about this little—I don't even want to call it a, a battle, but it's like a little discussion that I'm having on Twitter with people during breaks and before the show, including my buddy Chris Ranji, like. You know, there was a tweet put out earlier by Tracy Ringlesby, you know, complaining about MLB's blackout rules, which are ludicrous. I mean, they are. They're ridiculous. They're outdated. They need to be fixed. 100% agree. But like, he made the the comment like, well, this is why, you know, baseball is seventh most popular sport. And my response is, it's not seventh. That's nonsense. And then as part of my support for that, I said it's the second highest revenue producing sport in, in the United States. Now, that's not my position that it's the second most popular. My position is it's not seventh. <laughs> Maybe it's third. It's not It's not lower than third. I mean, the only ones that have any, I mean, NFL is number one. We don't even have to discuss that. You want to have the discussion MLB versus NBA, which seems to be how this is devolved on Twitter. I don't know how it has because my point had nothing to do with the NBA or being second. Just pointing out that if you're the second highest revenue producing sport, you're not the seventh most popular. But some poll somewhere probably said it was. You know, this poll of 1,000 Gen Zers said that this is, yeah, okay, fine. But tell me what people are doing now. And maybe in 20 years it's different. I don't, and this is my point here. Maybe in 20 years it is different. I mean, we go back 100 years ago, like from now, and the most popular sports were baseball, horse racing, and boxing. Things change. It, it that's normal. And, and in 50 more years from now, maybe baseball is seventh or 10th or 15th. And my point is who cares? I don't care what's going to be the case when I'm dead. I don't care about the 50 year viability of a sport right now. I don't care. Do I like the sport? Yes. Is it available for me to consume? Yes, then I'm in. And I would I would suggest that all sports fans feel the same way. I'm a I'm a lifelong sports talk show host. Well, not lifelong. That'd be you know weird to do that when you're like three. But I mean I've been doing it for 25 years. December of 1995 is when I started in the radio business. 
And in my experience over that time, the two most sensitive fan bases when it comes to how other people perceive their sport are hockey fans and soccer fans. And I don't know why you care. Like, I, I am a hockey fan. I mean, like, I don't I don't follow soccer at all. It's not any kind of, like, um, dislike or any kind of view that it's not good enough or less than. It's just I didn't grow up with it. It has not been a major professional sport through most of my lifetime, but it obviously has been growing and the MLS is getting stronger and obviously it's coming here. And I'm, I don't, it's good. I'm glad like growth is good. I don't care which sports are the most popular is my favorite sport available. Good. I'm solid. And that's how I think all fans should look at it. If you're a big soccer fan, it shouldn't mean a damn thing. If anybody else likes your sport, if you're a hockey fan, it shouldn't mean a damn thing to you. If someone else is like, I don't like hockey, who cares? And in that sense, that's what I, it kind of gets me gets me going on some of these things when it comes to baseball. Because baseball writers, I mean, it's just, and I, I shouldn't say writers, baseball people. Writers are in the group. But baseball people are becoming that sensitive group. We're always worried about something. We're always, the, the game's not what it used to be. Well, no kidding, dummy. Things change. Baseball's headed down a path. Who cares? You're going to be dead. I'm going to be dead. At some point, I'm not going to care. Is it what I enjoy or something close to it right now while I'm a living human being? Good. Boom. I'm solid. Same thing. I I mean, I love the NFL. I hate the league, but I love football. It's a great sport. I, I love the NBA. I love the NHL. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on all of them. I've covered them all. I've watched them all my entire life. I'm in. But I truly don't care about what the circumstances are going to be 30 years from now or 50 years from now. I hope to be around 30 years from now. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be in 50 years. And make me a hundred, which by the way, would be great. But you know, I don't know anybody in my family that's lived to a hundred. So I'm I'm not, I'm not really going to hold my breath on that. But the point is not whether I do or don't. The point is at some time, I'm not going to be here and it's not going to matter. Enjoy what you enjoy in the moment and stop worrying about what future generations will like. If Gen Z, 30 years from now, from now, is not enjoying baseball the same way Gen X is or the boomers did or whatever, who cares? Sure, the owners of teams in that era will care, but I'm not them, so I don't care. The current owners aren't going to be around then. They're even older <laughs> than I am. They're not going to be around in 30 years. All right, some of them are younger than others, but you get my point. Yeah, things change, and and we have to understand that. And I understand too that you know we do. I do want the most entertaining version of all professional sports and college sports. But the life of a sport is kind of like the life of a human being in that. Sometimes they're good times, sometimes they're bad times, and you, you don't you don't get to control it all the time. You know, every sport has gone through dark days, 
if not scandal ridden, at the very least, more boring times. Like sometimes they're just more exciting than others. And in some sports, you can actually make rules that allow for that. So in the NBA, for example, in the NFL, for example, if you make rules that help the offense, well, you're going to have more action because then the offense can move the ball. You know, you score a lot more points, but you can't do that really well in baseball because the the offense doesn't have the ball. They don't have possession. They don't have control. The offense in baseball is the reactionary position. It makes it more difficult. So if your problem is just too much pitching and not enough offense, that's not an easy problem to fix. If your problem was the opposite, that's actually a lot easier to fix. You could make the strike zone bigger, as an example. You could move the mound closer. You could a lot of things you could you could you could you know make the ballparks bigger. And by the way, you know over periods of time, all of those things happen. Now the ball, the mound thing hasn't changed, but you know over different time periods, these other things have changed. The strike zone has changed from generation to generation. Ballparks are different in generations. The equipment changes. But that part is normal. I mean, it's the evolution of the sport. And I don't think we do ourselves any favors when we're constantly worried about what other people think of the sport. Do you enjoy it? Great. Go on and continue enjoying it. And at the moment, obviously, a lot of other people do too. Because baseball is about to set an all-time revenue record for itself. Not for all sports, but for itself. And by the end of 2022, it will likely once again be the second highest revenue generating sport in the world. League, I should say. League, not sport. Sport's a little too broad. (laughs) The, the, The highest revenue generating sport in the world might be soccer. And I say might be because I don't know exactly. There are a lot more professional leagues. I just don't know exactly how much all of them generate. I do know that the top two combined are a little less than what baseball generates, the top two soccer leagues. But there's so many more leagues. I mean, so the sport itself is more. So I shouldn't say sport. I should say league. And I can tell you, as a as a baseball diehard fan, I'm actually I'm completely and totally not worried about what the sport's going to look like in 50 years or 30 years. Not even necessarily 20, although I hope to still be enjoying baseball games in 20 or 30 years. And I, you know, I'm not the one, I'm not a one sport person. So, you know, I don't view it as a competition. I'm not like, well, this one's my favorite. I mean, you know, I like baseball a little bit better than I like football and hockey and basketball, but it's not that big of a difference. I love sports because it's the competition and it's the nature of watching human beings challenge themselves both mentally and physically to do these crazy things that the rest of us can't do. That's what, that's what draws me to sports. I just think we spend too much time worrying about what other people like. Don't worry about it. I know easier said than done. All right, hang tight. We're going to switch over. I want to talk some blues hot streak continues. How long can it go? And obviously I want to hear a little bit 
and we'll follow up on some of the things that Craig Berube had to say about at, after practice today. So we'll hear a little bit from the head coach. We'll talk a bit about where the team is now, what's ahead, and what the playoffs could still look like for this team next up on KMOX. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Live. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. With special reports from Cardinals Camp and the T.R. Hughes Homes Broadcast Center, this is Sports Open Live on KMOX. All right, let's do a little bit of hockey here. We haven't, uh, we haven't had a lot of time. I mean, obviously, the beginning of the baseball season, uh, baseball is a big deal here on your home for the Cardinals, KMOX, um, in case you didn't know that. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of, we have games and, you know, whether it's spring training or we have, you know, and other games, you know, we we're carrying NCAA tournament games and all. So we're getting, we got a little bit scattershot at times with conversation about the blues, but I want to fit it in wherever I can. And I can today. So we're going to do that. Um, I'm going to hear, I want you to hear a little bit from Craig Bruby in a minute. Uh, I want to kind of start off with that because I want that to be our jumping off point uh, for where they are now and where they are now is on the good side, right? We're, we're in the middle of a long streak of winning games. And yeah, you know what? Five game winning streak is a long streak (laughs) in any professional sport, but you know, they've won five in a row. They've won seven of their last eight. um, And a lot of the games pretty decisive four to one, five to one, four to one, six to one. I mean, like, you know, that's, you know, half of those games, more than half of those of those seven wins in the last eight games have been pretty well controlled games. And, uh, and obviously, you know, big win against Minnesota, as an example. Why did I say it like that? I said it like Minnesota. That was stupid. Uh, and also, look, the overtime loss at Edmonton doesn't bother me in a little, even a little bit. Tough team. Tough, you know, I mean, you, you were in the, they were in the middle of, you know, uh, a stretch where they were going from Vancouver to Edmonton to Calgary. No big deal. It was a highly competitive game. You got a point on the road. So, you know, really to be simpler, you got you got an eight game point streak and you know, you're you're only a few weeks left in the regular season. I'm gonna do my let me take my shoes off real quick so I can do the math on this. Because the season ends on the 29th against Vegas, and today's the eleventh. So take off my shoes. Eighteen days. Man, I'm good. <laughs> We're only three weeks away from the playoffs. A little bit more than that. But like that's how close it is, and I'm glad that we're finally getting to that point. And you, you've kind of, with this stretch, thankfully, Blues have been able to kind of reassert their position. Remember, you know, like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, really, yeah, two weeks ago, it was starting to get dicey about like, man, they're getting pretty close to the, you know, the team with the with the eighth best record is getting pretty close. Yeah, they're they're not so close anymore. You know, the Blues, you know, they're they're in a good position. Um, you know, they're not, I, I don't think they're going to be threatened. You know, they're going to be in that second or third spot. Right now you're in the third spot in your division. Uh, there's plenty of time for you to, to to move up from there. But, you know, you're, you're eight points, which is a lot at this time of year, eight points from being caught, either for the division or for, you know, for falling out of the playoffs. And in reality, you know, Vegas, Vegas is 10 points behind you. They're the first team out of the playoffs. So you've reestablished, re-solidified everything. And that's kind of where I want to go for the jumping off point because this recent stretch has made has taken the not the tension down a notch, I think, as far as just, you know, look again, two weeks ago things were bad. 
you knew they would turn. You just don't know like how quickly and how much they would turn. And that leaves us with where the team is now um, heading into these final few weeks of the regular season, final three weeks of the regular season, two and a half weeks, whatever. And as a jumping off point, I want to play a little bit of what Craig Berube had to say today. And there are a few things in here that I want to touch on when he's done. How'd it go today? It looked like a pretty spirited uh, workout. Yeah, good practice after a day off. Uh, guys worked hard and ready to go tomorrow. Good energy too. Huh? Yeah. When you're winning, I guess well, that fuels yeah, it. Yeah, right? things are good. The guys are you know feeling good about each other and uh, yeah, it's good good energy and good spirit out there today. Boy, uh, uh, Letty's done some without Krug. He's done some yeoman's work, hasn't he, on the PP? Yeah, he's been good. Um, you, know, you know, he's ran a PP before and stuff, so he, he's familiar with it and been around. So um, he's done a good job for us. Yeah. Craig, what's – and the guys that we just talked to in here were talking about just your forecheck has really ramped up mm -hmm. here. Has that, has that kind of fueled this recent well, stretch for you? Well, you know, the, the forecheck's important in a game. Like, it really – it um, it really puts the other team on edge. You know, it's tough when you're forechecking hard. The team can't break a puck out. It's frustrating for them. And when you have your everybody on board with what you're doing, you know, you, you keep pucks in the offensive zone. And that's what we're doing now. And on top of that, we're getting a lot of zone time and getting some goals. So uh, I think we're managing the puck through the neutral zone, making good decisions. Yeah, if you can carried in with speed and, and create a zone time uh, with the puck, that's fine. But if not, put it in deep and go get it. Uh, I think it gets our team skating and gets on, gets us on our toes. A great example, I mean, the Islanders game where you, mm -hmm. you were in that second period where it was just yeah. seemed like line after line. Yeah, and that Brown line's doing that, a good yeah. job of that for us. You know, they're putting pucks in and going to work. And that really, our team feeds off that. When uh, Krug's back, your top six, Pareko will be the least experienced guy. As a head coach, that's got to be a secure feeling, huh? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of experience back there. Guys have been around, um, been um, done, you know, good things in playoffs, and um, that'll be important going forward here down the stretch. We need some, we need really good play out of our D here back uh, uh, down the stretch and going mm -hmm. forward. You've liked Krug and uh, Falk together, mm -hmm. but when he comes back, do you keep Letty there? Is that a good problem to have? Um, to yeah, it's a good decision? problem to have. I think that uh, you're going to see a little mix and match in here going on and see uh, where guys fit in. Are you in-game even, too? Yeah, right? or even at the start, and we'll just maybe make switches, but we'll see how it goes. How do you view this trip coming up? And obviously Boston, we know what they are. Well, they're a good team, Boston. Um, I think they've been one of the better second-half teams this year. Um, you know, they're they got that line. They got the top, you know, the guys that have been around, Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak, you know, they've always been dangerous players and good players. Uh, you know, they, they play a real good game all around, you know, defense, and they can score goals. And uh, so it's a tough it's a tough challenge for us. It really is. They're a very good team. And Buffalo's kind of come around here too. I've they? watched Buffalo the last three weeks, um, and, uh, you know, I'm very impressed with the way they play the game right now. The, you know, hanging on to the pucks, making plays. Um, they're very confident the way they're playing. I know they got beat last night 5 nothing. Was it 4 nothing? I can't remember. Five. But, you know, for the most part, they're in every game. Um, hard, they're difficult to play against right now. And mm -hmm. um, very confident group the way I see them, the way they're playing. You, you got a. There's still got to be a special feeling going back into TD Garden and never have to yeah, the game. Yeah, all. We've been that back there once, right? Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I know for sure. Um, when you, uh, you win a championship and play those guys in the finals and you win it there, well, that's a big thing. You know, it always will be.
There you go, Craig Bruby talking a bit about where his team is now. And obviously, I thought some of those thoughts on, uh, you know, the the experience. JT had a good question there about the experience on the defense. And, you know, we've been talking, I know I have, and I'm sure, you know, and everybody that I pay attention to has been talking about the defensive pairings and trying to make sure that you're strengthening that. And, of course, as soon as you do, you have an injury. Uh, and that kind of puts you back to where you were before. But Nick Letty is fitting in pretty well. Uh, as as Craig Berube pointed out there, he's helping out on the power play. He's got experience doing that, certainly with Chicago and, and with Detroit uh, as well in, in the last couple of seasons. And what, I, what I'm really hoping for, and I want to go into this a little bit more in the final segment, but what I'm really hoping for is that the war of attrition in the playoffs is something that the Blues can take advantage of because of their offensive depth. Now, the defensive depth, you know, is is has been a question all season long. It's been something they've been playing around with all season long. But, you know, I, I think Pareko's had a really good year. I think he's very dependable. I think Falk has had a really good year. Again, very dependable, bringing you both sides. And and it really is about who, who can settle in or how healthy can Tory Krug get so that you have the top four that you want going into the playoffs so your matchups can be set. But what I'm really hoping for is that the depth up front can help you handle the difficulty of a playoff run. We'll get to that coming up next on KMOX. All right, just a little bit more on the Blues. And here, you know, this is what I talked, when I talked about the Blues, and this is probably going back like uh, in a month and a half or so, two months maybe. But earlier when they were in the middle of another long stretch of winning, what I love about this team, when and, and obviously, you know, we still got to get through this month healthy and all that, but what I love about this team setting up for the playoffs is they have so many forwards, so, such a large group of players that can impact the game offensively that I think that could be an advantage in the playoffs. Now, I already touched on the defense. I'm not going to repeat all of that. You know what my concerns are there if you've been listening and I'm, again, it's not like I'm super worried. I just think that's the lesser of the two sides, or the, the lesser element or element aspect of the team. I do think we have really interesting stuff to still figure out with the goaltending situation between now and the playoffs. And what we really need to see is consistency from Jordan Bennington. Because if, if he's not going to, I mean, he, he looked good yesterday. If we're not going to see that regularly, well, then, I mean, your better goalie is Billy Huso, and you got to go with your better guy. But what I what I'm really excited about, and and it's maybe the most obvious thing in the world, but the offensive depth with this team right now is stupid. Like the forward depth. So we, I think there's a legitimate chance with 18 games left that Robert Thomas, who has 18 goals, and Ryan O'Reilly, who has 17, that they get to 20, and the significance of that. Would mean you have nine 20 goal players, nine 20 goal scorers on this team if they those two can get there. And you know your 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 leader at the moment, obviously Vlad Tarasenko has 26. You may not have a 30 goal score, and if you do have it, again it's 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 maybe him or or Butchnevich. You're not likely to have more than that. So what's what, what's what's really interesting is like unlike a lot of other you know playoff teams, unlike what you see with some other top teams who have a defined top line and a defined star that carries the load, 
Blues don't really have that setup, and they never really have, and that's partly, I think, what can make them a tough matchup in the post in the postseason. Now, again, every team can be a tough matchup in the postseason, duh. But when you compare that, so for example, you compare that to the Minnesota Wild, who you would play in the first round as of right now. They have plenty. I think they're a, a deep team when it comes to, to goal scoring. I think they have six guys already with 20 goals. I don't. They're not going to have more than that. I think that's it, if I remember right. And obviously, Kaprizov has 42. So, like, he's the dude. And, you know, what? in the line that he's on, like, that's going to be the one you got to really fixate on. Which is the line on the Blues that you have to fixate on? I mean, the truth is, <laughs> all of them. But in particular, the top three lines, the top nine forwards. And this is kind of, you know, the same, same kind of construct as the Stanley Cup winning team. Certainly, I think this one's less physical than that team was. But same idea in that you're not really saying, okay, our top line has to carry us. And if our top line has a bad series, we're in trouble. There are plenty of teams that are like that. Now, that's not Colorado. (laughs) They've got those guys at the very top, and they have a lot of the depth that we're talking about. So they're not going to have nine 20-goal scores. The Blues may not, but they look like they could. But they also, I think they already have six, and they might end up with seven. But they also have the the, the higher-end top, right? Like the top guys, their top-of-the-line guys, a little bit higher end. They're obviously a tough team for a reason because they, they're they they're both elite and deep. And the Blues are, I think, a little less elite at the very top, but I, I still think up front anyway, deeper than the Avalanche. I, they're not a deeper roster than the Avalanche. I'm just talking about in that forward group. But it's, it's relative, right? Because what are we talking about here? We're probably talking about you know, a difference of a few minutes per game where you'd have an advantage, right? When it comes to that kind of depth. But what what I'm what I'm the, the point that I'm trying to get to, and maybe I'm taking the long path to it, gee, shocking for me, is that when you when you have this many people that can provide, you're less likely to be slump prone. And the playoffs in hockey, the playoffs in all sports, but the playoffs in hockey since we're talking hockey, are are absolutely about avoiding the valleys, like staying out of the of the of the of the of the the, uh, the black hole, if you will. Like you you want to be le- as level as possible. You want to be able to have the hot streaks, of course, but you know the the play in the playoffs. All it takes is a lull. You know, in some again with a more top-heavy team, a lull with a top line, or just a bad matchup. I mean, you know, we talk about this in the NFL all the time that it's not always just the rank of the offense versus the rank of the defense. It's about how they match up. We talked about this with the Cardinals and and the pitching matchups earlier. It's not always about lefty righty. It's about what type of hitter and what type of pitcher you're talking about. And it's the same idea with hockey. How do the lines match up? What does one group do that gives another group trouble? What does one team do that can give another group trouble? And I just, I love the fact that the Blues are going to come at you with a great combination of super experienced guys that have been been through the battles like Tarasenko and David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly, Brandon Saad. 
These are guys that have been deep in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Ivan Barbashev, although it was in a little different role than he's in now, still been there, done that. Brayton Chen, throw him in. I, I don't want to leave him out of that either. And then you've got some of the younger guys that haven't been through it all, but they bring some of that extra excitement. Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, which Navich kind of in between age-wise and experience-wise. So, yeah, I still have my concerns about how the 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 defensive pairings are going to sort out once you get there, and are you you know what's it when are you going to have a hundred percent Tory Krug? Are you going to have the four that you want lined up in the top four? Um, are all of the six that you're going to use are they all kind of playing well at that time? You you've definitely got the question about the goalie direction, and is there enough time for Jordan Bennington to go back and and retake that job? I don't know. What does it take? Does it take Four or five games in a row where he looks good. Does it take a little bit of a of a of a of another of a decline from Ville Husso? I don't know that it's decided already, but I can tell you this: I haven't seen anything yet this year that would make me choose Bennington over Husso going into the playoffs. Now, again, there's 18 days left. There's plenty that can change in that amount of time, but so there are questions for the team, but there are fewer questions today than I had a few weeks ago. And, you know, you, you definitely have control of your own destiny. You've done enough with this winning streak where, barring a five- or six-game losing streak, you don't have a whole lot to worry about as far as where you're going to be. You're going to be second or third in the division. You're going to have a tough matchup against Minnesota either way, and then you got to get through Colorado. <laughs> just, just the best team in the league waiting for you in the second round. You guys enjoy the rest of your Monday night. We'll have Cardinals baseball here tomorrow night. Cardinals and the Royals. Tuesday night on KMOX.